Well, hello everyone. My name is Brett Deering. I'm the founder of Business Owners Exchange, passionately known as BXO. Uh, and today we have with us Bruce Altman, uh, who's managing uh, partner and managing director of Eureka Capital Partners. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the M&A markets today. I think a lot of business owners have having, been having discussions and questions in regards to the pandemic and how it's been impacting uh, the merger and acquisition markets, but specifically how it's been uh, impacting them if they're thinking about selling their business. And so we thought we would bring Bruce Altman on today from Eureka Capital. Uh, Bruce, I've worked with him uh, on several transactions and had the opportunity to speak with him. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us uh, to have a discussion about the M&A markets. Welcome, Bruce. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Bruce, for those that are listening? Good morning, uh, everybody. And good morning, Brett. Thank you. Um, so my name is Bruce Altman. I'm a managing director and partner with Eureka Capital uh, in New York. We are a mid-market focused investment bank. Uh, we work with uh, we work with small, mostly with small private uh, companies, uh, small meaning businesses with sales of 10 million up to a couple hundred million dollars. Um, uh, myself and my partners, we've been in business for uh, almost 20 years with Eureka. And we all come out of the big investment banks from earlier in our uh, careers. Uh, we also have an office in California. We work um, all over the country um, and our, um, our industry uh, expertise extends in industrials, business services, healthcare, uh, consumer products, and a number of other um, verticals. Uh, so I've been at this for over 30 years. Um, as Brett said, we've, we have worked together on a number of transactions in the past and you know, I think it's a very interesting time to look at the M&A markets, uh, particularly in what's going on with COVID and um, how that's changed the landscape a little bit. But uh, the, uh, the markets are alive and well and uh, look forward to speaking about it today. Oh, that's great, Bruce. I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, we've had uh, several discussions over the course of this year in regards to right before, uh, you know, kind of, you know, pandemic, you know, actually we're having conversations uh, going into 2020. Uh, and then we started to have the conversations right when the pandemic started back in, uh, you know, early March and April. Uh, and now as we start to have these discussions, continued discussions with our, you know, obviously with business owners, I just said, you know, this might be a really good time to, to get your insights and feedback because I know that you're kind of talking with these business owners specifically that might be in transaction or may have had their transaction placed on hold. Uh, because of the pandemic. And I just thought you'd be able to offer some really good perspective in regards to, you know, what business owners should be thinking about as we start to move through uh, the recovery phase. And so I thought that, you know, it'd be great for you to kind of give us a little bit of feedback and, and just some overview of kind of how things look before going into 2020 um, so that we can set the kind of the, the, the conversation in regards to where we are today. Sure. Happy to do that. Um, and by the way, I have on uh, a colleague, uh, Dennis Chernoff, he's a vice president and one of our lead executors at Eureka Capital, and he's, um, he's available as well to answer questions and offer commentary on the markets. Um, awesome. So wh why don't we start, though, with um, sort of how the markets looked heading into 2020. Um, you know, the M&A markets were strong. 2019 was an excellent year overall for the M&A markets. Um, you know, beyond just sort of what was happening in, in my world and, and Brett in our world as, as we work together on transactions, you know, the stock market was strong, uh, corporate earnings were trending well, uh, it's a very low interest rate um, environment. Uh, so the perfect storm conditions, which have existed for a number of years, continued through 2019, 
and looked like they were going to continue into 2020. Uh, deal volumes were strong, valuations for the companies that we were talking to and what we were seeing in the market last year in terms of the deals that we were closing, uh, valuations were strong. Um, and as far as the um, potential buyer universe uh, looked, and we're usually representing sellers, business sellers, although we do represent people on the buy side as well and raise capital, um, you know, the buyer universe was also in very good shape. You had large corporates who were, uh, had strong cash balances. They were looking to do transactions. Um, they felt that that was a very strong way to grow beyond just organic growth. Uh, financial buyers, private equity groups uh, principally, uh, and this has been known for a long time, uh, had a lot of capital in reserve that they were putting to work. They had raised uh, over a trillion dollars in capital over the last four or five years. So they had a lot of money to put to work, so they were active. Um, and then interest rates were relatively low and, and continued to be low. So financing sources, uh, banks and mezzanine funds uh, and other uh, private pools of capital were eager to finance transactions. So the perfect storm sure. conditions in 2019 were, you know, they were really ripe for a very strong M&A environment. And that's what we saw in a lot of the deals that we were closing uh, last year. And if you look at the chart on the bottom of this page, you can see the number of transactions that we dipped in 2016, you know, has been ticking up over the last couple of years and the valuation multiples, um, you know, were also ticking up. And this is, again, exactly what we saw in um, our experience with closing transactions. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, if you take a look at 2019, I mean, we were at the pretty much we've seen multiples kind of touching right around what we saw in 2014. But, you know, from a just from an activity perspective, we saw that there were a lot of transactions taking place uh, throughout the course of 2019. So it just seemed like there there was a lot of activity. Uh, I know that I work specifically in the lower middle market, which is kind of sub $100 million, in, and I did see a tremendous amount of activity. But what I will tell you, I did see uh, a lot of in 2019 were uh, you know, these add-ons. And so, you know, for these, you know, strategic or excuse me, for these private equity companies or strategic buyers uh, who had a platform company and were looking to diversify, uh, saw a lot of these kind of tuck-ins, if you will, or add-ons um, as, you know, seemed to be a lot of the activity. And I'm, I'm curious to see or, or get your feedback and what your thoughts were and what you saw uh, in 2019 as well. Yeah, there, there are, that's a very good point. And there were a number of examples of deals that we did last year. Um, these are listed on our website and it's public, public information that these deals were done. But uh, just as an example, there were two transactions that we worked on last year um, where a private equity group owned a portfolio company that was relatively large relative to the size of our client uh, was acquisitive. They were doing tuck-ins or add-ons uh, depending on how you characterize the size. One example, for example, was um, uh, Atlanta Cooling. Dennis and I represented this um, this servicer of cooling towers in New York City. Uh, these are the um, uh, these are the, the the units on the roof of a tall building. You might see they're throwing off steam. Uh, they're actually uh, it's an adjunct to the HVAC system, and that business was bought by Service Logic, which is a portfolio company of a large private equity group. And um, you know that was their one of their mechanisms for growth. And this uh, service logic had done a number of acquisitions. They built up their business from a very small base to a very large base of over 35 different um, HVAC and in this case cooling tower servicers. And we were just one of a number of transactions that they did um, last year. 
Um, another example was Watermark Faucets, a company based in Brooklyn. They make luxury, uh, super high-end faucets. They've been in business for over 20, 30 years. Um, they were operating as an independent uh, business, growing their brand. Um, and uh, when it came time to do a transaction, uh, an attractive option for them and an attractive option for the buyer, um, which was a, a company owned by the, the, the Jordan Company's private equity group, uh, Demora Brands, um, who was building a portfolio of luxury hardware brands. They owned the doorknobs uh, and other handles that were sort of in, in the high-end range used by homeowners and decorators and people doing renovations. And they wanted to add a line that would bring them into the bath segment. Um, so they bought a bath faucet business. So it, it was a very strategic add-on um, a good size business, but small relative to Demora's broader hardware business, and they're building up a hardware platform. So those were two very good examples of where private equity groups had a relatively good sized portfolio company, but still very eager to expand uh, the scope of what those portfolio companies were doing. Wow. So, I mean, what you're saying essentially is that, you know, this, this was, you know, 2019, um, was, you know, a myriad of activity, but we did see, you know, companies, strategics, as well as, uh, you know, financial uh, investors, you know, looking for opportunities to add on to a company for diversification, for product mix uh, opportunities, and for client acquisition. And so, you know, you see all of that uh, rounding out activity uh, in 2019, and then we, we kind of, you know, move into to 20, uh, you know, 2020, and off to a really good start, I felt like in January and February. But I'm just curious to get your thoughts, what your thoughts were when we started to see the pandemic. Uh, what were you know your business owners that you were speaking to? What were they were saying, or what were they saying specifically about um, you know their, their their company and potential impact? I'm just curious to get your thoughts and feedback on that. Sure. Um, so, so as we you know as we came into 2020 and the the potential of COVID's impact on the economy and on businesses, you know, was starting to become more real and it became more real, uh, you know, as we progressed through January, February, March, um, you know, we saw two dynamics. Um, one from the perspective of the business owners that we had been speaking with, uh, many of them, or I'd say most of them, um, you know, could see that there was going to be some impact on their business. And again, it was going to depend on the type of business, which industry it was in. Um, and they started to see the writing on the wall in February and March. And most of those businesses that were not currently involved in trying to transact, but they were maybe thinking about transacting, put their thought process there on hold. Uh, because really what they were focused on was managing their business through what was clearly going to be some type of downturn. And I can say that pretty much all the businesses that we had been speaking with, the business owners made it through. Uh, some of them did suffer a decline in their revenues, but they also were able to reduce costs and do other things to manage through it. So most of those groups put, that we were speaking with put there any kind of thought that they had about doing a transaction on hold. Mm -hmm. On the buyer side of things, similarly, most acquirers, whether they were larger corporates or whether they were private equity groups, put their acquisition initiatives on hold. So any new sure. initiative, uh, you know, was basically put on hold because the outlook for the future was unclear. And anytime you have an unclear outlook for the future, valuation is based on the future and future earnings. Uh, you know, it's tough to value a business, even those businesses that 
you wouldn't necessarily project and they, they weren't necessarily experiencing that much of a decline in their in their in their in their business uh, still it created enough certainty that most uh, most transactors you know put a lot of their acquisition plans on hold what we did see um, you know in the first couple of months of the year and into the spring and we'll talk about some specific examples later on in the presentation um, of people who were in the middle of a transaction were that right. there were you know a few types of deals that were still moving forward and interestingly that did close um, so those would be for example deals that were pretty far along before COVID struck so maybe there was an agreement in principle reached uh, late last year or in the first quarter of this year and the both the buyer and and the seller uh, say a, a private company could look through the potential impacts of covid uh, and they could see that their business was not going to be impaired materially and right. some of those deals were indeed um, you know able you know, those some of those deals were actually able to close the other type of transactions that were able to close in the first couple of months of the year and through the summer um, were transactions where the business was not leveraged to any leverage to an industry that was impacted by COVID. So there's sure, simply, sure. there are plenty of businesses that just sailed right through, didn't see any diminution in their performance, their operating profits, and and those businesses looked continued to look attractive. Uh, you know, when capital still needed to find a place to go. So to the extent that you know somebody could demonstrate or there somebody had a business model or was in an industry that wasn't going to be impacted by COVID, you know, even those deals were able to get done. Um, you know, without without incident or without you know major issues. And then lastly, you had, of course, and this is always the case, but particularly true in a tough economy, which you know we had for the first or second quarter. You know, distressed sellers, somebody who absolutely must sell their business because they're in a distressed situation, they can't refinance. Uh, you know, and you know there were a measure of those deals as well as you might see in any in any downturn. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because you know. You, leading into kind of that March, April, you know, um, you know, speaking, you know, about some of the business owners that, you know, were in the process of selling, you know, they still felt like they could probably get through that transaction. But as things started to really unravel uh, and the markets, and obviously we started to see that that shutdown, we started to see that hold. You know, I guess the question now is, you know, we're starting to move past that. Some uh, business owners are reengaged in the in their initial transactions that they started back in January and February. Um, you know, are private equity companies out there? Are they really open for business? I mean, we're talking about four trillion dollars in dry powder that we're seeing. Uh, you know, we're seeing that there's not a lot of opportunities out there in the way of great companies. I think everybody, you know, has is, is kind of said, look, there's quality out there is, is something that we're looking for. And, and, and so there's a lot of money chasing that. So are private equity companies open? Are they, are they looking for business? Are they looking for opportunities to make acquisitions? So our, our observation, um, and again, we'll talk about this a little bit later because we have an example of a deal that we're in the market with right now, is that you know, I'd say there are a core of private equity groups who are who are active and who are looking uh, and who are willing to do all the things they were willing to do pre-COVID in terms of diligence and moving a deal forward. Um, you know, and 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 they are eager, just as they were last year, to put money to work. There are precautions that they're taking. They're looking more closely at near-term earnings and cash flows and debt service capability for a business that might be slightly impaired. 
but they are open for business and they are doing deals. Then there's another category of private equity groups. And I'm not sure that I would put a, a percentage on which would fall in category A or category B, but there are private equity groups that you know, really have been more on the sidelines. And they've decided that for now, they're gonna be cautious in their investing uh, just because maybe the industries they invest in or just their investment philosophy is that there's just too much uncertainty um, you know, in the economy following COVID, even though the economy is starting to recover. Um, and, you know, as, a, as an aside, maybe they're, you know, they want to see, you know, what happens with the, with the election and whether or not a change of administration, if there is one, would impact. So I'd say it's kind of a tale of two worlds. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about transacting today. I mean, I think you, you, you really had some decent, you know, some really good points. Um, so why don't you take us through some of those? I, I'd be interested to hear kind of what your thought process is around the current environment and how uh, people are looking at transacting. So, so if you think about you know transacting today, whether it's a strategic group uh, who's looking to continue to make uh, acquisitions and build out a, a portfolio of businesses, or whether or not it's a private equity group that wants to do the same with one of their portfolio companies, or maybe build a new platform, I mean, you know, what are people focusing on today? Well, first and foremost, for every business. Uh, you know, an acquirer is going to be focused on focusing on, you know, what's the liquidity situation of the business? I mean, do they have adequate liquidity? Do they have adequate working capital to weather whatever downturn they might they might be in if they are in a downturn? And most businesses were impacted to a degree. But again, most many that we've seen that we're talking to, their business has essentially recovered or they're at a run rate that would put them back on track. Uh, and, and that, in fact, is another important aspect of the business that people are focusing on. You know, what is the run rate today as we sit here in October versus say March or April when, you know, things looked pretty ugly and it was unclear how quickly the economy was going to be able to recover, um, you know, from a shutdown in many segments of the economy. So there's a very, very heavy, heavy focus on, on run rate. And then I would say it's as important as it ever was previously, which is what's the outlook for 2021. Now, business, you know, acquirers of businesses always look forward. That's what drives valuation. Uh, but I would say that the outlook for 2021, you know, in today's M&A market is as critical as it ever was, because that's really the basis on which a value is going to be determined, uh, because people can look back at 2020 and acknowledge, um, certainly acquirers can and financing sources can, that it's an aberration. You have, a, you know, a couple of months when... Uh, business was impacted, the economy was impacted, demand was down, it's understandable, you know, it's, it's a one-time event, it's, it's an extraordinary event. People can look through that, buyers can look through that, and they can look at your current run rate and, and, uh, and look into the future, um, because, again, they can see that this was a one-time extraordinary event. Um, so, of the deals that we are, and I don't know if you want to stop there or have any questions, Brett, but I can talk about just some of the parameters of what we're seeing in the deals that are being done. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love to hear, you know, some of the parameters. And Dennis, I know that you've had um, specific, um, you know, insights and dealings with, you know, the transaction. So we'd love to get your feedback from that uh, perspective as well. But I think the first question is, is how are multiples holding up now that we move into kind of the latter part of 2020? Um, have we lost multiples for, you know, opportunities for business owners looking to sell? I mean, what does that look like? Dennis, you want to take a shot at answering that? Sure, absolutely. 
So what we're seeing in the market is, you know, there are a limited number of deals being done and probably a smaller buyer universe just because especially private equity buyers are being a little bit more cautious and the but what we're in general seeing is that for good businesses who have survived the COVID environment and who are prospering, the reality is that valuations have stayed at the, you know, the, the very good levels that they were before the COVID pandemic uh, uh, struck. But what we're seeing is on the debt market side, the lenders are being a little bit more cautious. There, as Bruce said, there's you know greater due diligence uh, regarding the projected 12 months cash flows. Um, some of uh, the buyers are looking at the backlog because there's been a tremendous amount of backlog built up, and taking into account the uh, the fact that that backlog will push through in the next 12 months, but you know, it's important to look at a normalized rate uh, for the next 12 months. So the lenders are very focused on the future 12 months cash flows on a normalized basis. And what we're seeing some, uh, in um, the deal environment is that many of these deals right now, because of the lender uncertainty, are being over equitized. So that means the private equity who have a good amount of dry powder are able to still close these very lucrative deals, but you know, with a lower level of uh, bank financing or net financing, and with kind of in the future they're looking to re um, uh, sorry re restructure that in the future. Sure. So you know it's interesting. It sounds like from the perspective of just the you know, the logistics are of a transaction. It seems like, um, you know, private equity is leaning a little bit more in on the equity side. They're using less debt where I think if we look at 2019, uh, we were in the act, we were actually in the exact opposite where, uh, you know, we were seeing some historic levels of debt being applied to some of these transactions that, uh, private equity uh, groups were using. It sounds like now they're saying, you know what, we're going to take a little bit of cash, uh, and we're going to lean in on the equity side. I guess that leads to, a follow-up question for one or for both of you, which is, um, you know, we've been talking about, you know, private equity and the, and the dry powder, but what we're hearing, uh, you know, from a lot of markets is that um, they're using that dry powder to shore up uh, some of the existing investments that they have, and they're being very, very specific uh, in regards to the types of acquisitions that they're looking at and or trying to make through 2020 heading into 2021. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely a true statement. Uh, they're being much more thoughtful about their existing portfolio companies. Uh, I mean, for one, I think the private group, private equity groups in general, you know, have wanted to, um, you know, want to make sure that their existing portfolio companies were performing well and that were uh, properly that they were proper properly capitalized uh, to the extent they were going to be doing new platforms or add-on acquisitions. You know, they definitely had a higher level of scrutiny on those because they had, you know, it's always a, a, a mandate of a private equity group to make sure that their portfolio companies are performing well. It was, it was a particularly 
uh, critical mandate, you know, over the last six months. So necessarily that took focus off of some of the deal work that they might do. And as a matter of priority and thoughtfulness, uh, I think they were just being uh, generally more conservative. Yeah. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I guess, you know, it'd be great to kind of get an idea around some of the deal examples that, you know, that you've been working through um, to give our listeners an opportunity to understand some of the, just some of the detail um, around kind of the negotiations, around the due diligence process, because those seem to be the areas where a lot of business owners are concerned about to say, what's the process look like today versus what did it look back, you know, in January or pre-COVID. Um, the second thing is, you know, due diligence. I know they're going to be a lot more um, detailed around kind of looking at, you know, my company, but, you know, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about when heading into, uh, you know, this preliminary discussion around, you know, selling or transacting uh, my business? Sure. Yeah, so what, why don't we take you through just some examples, and on the slide that's up, um, we put four examples of transactions that we have been working on at Eureka. Uh, two of sure. them are closed, uh, two of them are in process, uh, and they span different industries, which is a, maybe a good thing for, for, for listeners to sort of hear what's going on in different industries. Uh, so the first one was a healthcare services deal that one of my partners closed um, over the summer. Now, this was a deal that was in process before COVID. So healthcare services, it's a facility-based business um, with, it's really a center of excellence in what they in their specialty area. Uh, uh, you know, frankly, their business was not impacted by COVID at all. People were, um, you know, their biggest concern, like everybody else's concern who, was in, who had a facility-based um, healthcare services business was, you know, would there be a spread of COVID in some way uh, in the facility that would impair their ability to be in business. That did not happen uh, to this particular company. And the long-term prospects of this business, you know, would remain strong regardless. Even if they did have a COVID outbreak, their business would still be uh, very viable right. in the long run. So the transaction was in process. It was looking, you know, very good to close in the March-April timeframe, interestingly. When COVID hit, you know, both buyer and seller had to put the pause button on. And, um, you know, even though there was an agreement in principle. And what happened was that once, once the buyer could take a look through and see, okay, well, this business isn't really going to be impacted in the long run. Let's see if we can figure out a way to finish this deal, uh, you know, negotiate certain things that may have, may need to be slightly tweaked in, in the deal, um, you know, and try to get it closed, but basically on reasonable terms that were, you know, consistent with, with what we were talking about before COVID hit. And, you know, the nuance here was that the site visits had already been held uh, prior to people right. stopping traveling. The rest of the diligence was all done virtually. So, uh, which is not, you know, it's not uncommon to have a lot of the diligence done virtually, but then again, there are, you know, frequently many meetings and, you know, sort of interactions that are subsequent to an initial management meeting. So here there were some initial meetings, but there were none after that, they were they were simply done. All the all the work was done remotely, and you know the transaction closed over the summer without incident, and the business is doing great under its new ownership. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. It's like you know, I think everybody has been impacted by kind of the virtual, uh, you know, world and meeting from that perspective. And it's interesting when you think about due diligence. A lot of times in the managers' meetings that take place, when uh, you know the potential buyers come in and they want to sit down with the managers and really scope out the business, understand kind of their mindset um, around how they see it moving forward. You think, wow, um, 
you know, all of that's been somewhat, not necessarily disrupted, but it's definitely changed in regards of engagement. Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the second deal uh, that, that closed also late in the summer, um, this was a luxury retail e-commerce play. Um, so we had a, you know, sort of a small private business that we were representing as the seller. The buyer is a big multinational uh, public company. Um, now, because each has had or had a retail component to their business, you know, obviously retail slowed down and, you know, because all you know, across the retail industry, uh, you know, there were store closures or limitations on what could be done. So both businesses were somewhat impacted uh, by, by COVID. However, the e-commerce side of their business continued on uh, because that was unimpacted by COVID. And as a luxury good, uh, there was still plenty, there was still plenty of demand for the product. So while both buyer and seller had to kind of navigate through some of their own business challenges during the downturn, there was never any issue for either of, of buyer or seller that their business was going to be viable going forward and that they were going to have a, you know, they were going to be able to sort of get back to some normalized level. So this business, this transaction um, you know, started sort of amid COVID, interestingly, uh, and, and there was a very good match between the, the seller, our client, and the buyer, a very strong strategic fit. The prospects of the business were, were, were good uh, on both sides. Um, so in this particular case, we had kind of a niche acquisition, uh, which, again, the buyer could look through and say, okay, we see this as a, a long-term part of our platform. We can transact here. Now, Interestingly, there were some in-person meetings here uh, done in a socially distanced way um, sure. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yet, right. uh, you know, the, the, both the buy again, most of the diligence was done uh, virtually. Uh, and, you know, the deal closed uh, in, in August, like late August or early September. And, um, you know, both buyer and seller are now just the, the, our client's business is being integrated into the buyer's business. And it's as if nothing happened other than, you know, if you go to a retail store today, obviously people are wearing masks. So right. <laughs> in, in this environment, but, but the, the e-commerce side of the business uh, has remained very strong. And is, in fact, it's even amplified if you think about it right. for, for logical reasons, because now people are saying, okay, I can do a lot of work on the internet. Maybe I do have to see people in person. So very interesting, again, large public company, multinational buying a small US-based business, but the fit was excellent. And yeah, okay, there were some complications because of COVID, but it didn't deter a deal from getting done. So it sounds like foundationally strong company, um, strong attractiveness um, from a you know from a seller's perspective uh, to a potential buyer. And so when you have kind of those fundamentals in place, you know it sounds like you have the right fundamentals for you know a transaction to get done. Yeah, they're going they might be a little bit more complexity to it based on, you know, COVID and how it's maybe potentially impacting, you know, short-term revenues and or some of the other elements of the business. But it sounds like uh, if you have those types of, you know, strong attractiveness and, you know, strong business model, you know, there's, there's opportunities out there for uh, buyers that are looking specifically for your company. You know, that's, it's, it's, you said it very well. Fundamentally strong businesses, fundamentally good businesses, even if they have disruptions or, you know, their business was impacted by COVID. It doesn't change the fact that they're fundamentally strong and good and attractive business. Those fundamentals don't necessarily change. And that's exactly what the, the dynamic was here. 
So, you know, let's, let's transition a bit because I, I love this, but I want to, I want to pick your brain a bit, right? So sure. let's talk about the companies that are, um, you know, not fundamentally sound, right? Um, you know, maybe they were pre COVID, you know, and, you know, Dennis, I know you, you, you see a lot of these types of companies that, you know, maybe stumbled a bit, um, still good companies, um, you know, still, you know, attractive to some degree, um, but just, you know, I've stumbled uh, maybe a little bit more so than some of the other companies, you know, based on the pandemic. And, you know, the way that I've been sharing this with owners is that, you know, a lot of the issues and challenges that you may be seeing within your businesses aren't necessarily, um, you know, due to COVID. It's just those it, those issues were already a part or already in your business. COVID just happened to, you know, show those a little bit more than you would normally see them. And so, what do you say to that owner who realizes, hey, I'm not where I was pre-January um, and I don't foresee myself getting there, you know, even in the first, second quarter of 2021, but I am interested in selling a business. And there may not be a good answer for this, but I'm just curious to get both of your feedback. What would you say to that business owner? So why don't I start and then Dennis, you can, you can jump in after. So, so I think what I'd say to that business owner is, is this, that you know, if you want to transact, um, you know, you should think about your time. So one needs to evaluate, you know, if my business has, you know, is, is the is in impairment, and I'm not using that word in a negative way, but is, 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 is some dynamic in my business that has negatively impacted it because of, say, COVID or COVID has accelerated, is that a permanent shift or is it a temporary shift? Now, if it's a permanent shift, then there's, you know, there maybe is a diminution in value uh, to your business unless you figure out a dynamic that would enable you to recover from that or, or balance that out. Um, and, we have, and, and, and in that case, when you might try to transact, when you might try to sell your business, uh, you know, it may not matter whether you try to do it, you know, say, in, you know, starting in the fourth quarter of this year or into next year or waiting two years. On the other hand, what I'd say to a business owner who believes that it's more of a short-term impact, it's a temporary impact, um, some dynamic in the business that's been impacted by COVID. If you believe that your business can return to where it was, or you can counterbalance, you know, what was a negative effect uh, some way, then maybe the answer is just to wait. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and that may be the answer. I mean, from an outlook perspective, um, you know, right now, uh, you know, of course, the biggest challenge that the economy faces is that, you know, a lot of industries are you know, still shut down, hospitality, travel, leisure, um, you know, other businesses are coming back, but they're, you know, where, where, they've, where they've been declines, you know, so, you know, outlook economy wise, that's always in the picture, but, you know, it looks like there could be a reasonable recovery next year. Um, you know, economists vary on, you know, what that recovery is going to look like uh, and how long it's going to take, whether it's one or two or three years. But, you know, outlook wise, the, the, the outlook is decent. Um, so if you think your business can recover to some degree and you can shift that dynamic that was maybe a, a COVID impact, maybe you wait and maybe you wait. Yeah. Or two. But Dennis, I don't yeah. know if you have any other thoughts. Um, Sure. And just to build on what you said, Bruce, whenever, you know, whenever the timing is right and whenever you choose to go to market, I think in this environment, it's, you know, even more important to sit down and think about the opportunities in the business and how to articulate them to the potential buyers and even more so, you know, your, give a good idea of and 
put thought into the projections and um, the future cash flows of the business. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, from a BXO perspective, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're, we're hearing uh, from, you know, many of the owners that we're speaking with is, you know, hey, Brett, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, I'm just going to be very candid. A lot of the owners that we were speaking to um, were looking to, you know, that we said, you know, specifically, hey, 2019 might be a good opportunity to kind of kind of stick your head out and see what's going on in the markets specifically for your company and your brand. You know, they said, no, the market's running smoothly. Uh, there might be an opportunity for me, you know, in, in 2020. Uh, I just want to just top off a little bit more of that revenue. And, and you know, 2020 hit. And now, you know, the conversations have changed dramatically. Uh, from now, the, the, uh, some of the owners saying to me, you know, look, Brett, I'm, I'm 65, I'm 67 years old. Um, you know, it took me almost a decade to rebuild uh, the value of my business, you know, you know, from the Great Recession back in 2008. Um, and so now I, I don't have that five or six years in my tank, you know, I, I don't have that fuel. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting, you know, some of the things that we're doing now is helping around growth strategies, specifically around helping them kind of think about what their recovery plan is moving into the recovery. Uh, and one of the things that I mentioned to them is, you know, acquisitions might be a good way for you to be able to, you know, kind of recover and grow your business. Um, you know, and again, not necessarily an M&A acquisition per se, but through partnerships and being able to scale your services to be able to uh, get more revenue in. And so, you know, have you have you seen some of your your some of these clients that you're speaking with or owners that are out there? Uh, what would you recommend to them to say, you know what, maybe an acquisition might be a good opportunity for you? Um, you know, there are companies out there struggling. Uh, there might be an opportunity for you to pick up market share, uh, pick up new product, uh, pick up new customer base at, you know, at a fraction of the cost. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good point. I, I think this type of environment uh, very much breeds creativity uh, in, in business owners. And, you know, if it's not an acquisition, as you pointed out, Brett, um, you know, it's, uh, it's maybe a partnership of some type. So it is absolutely an excellent way, um, you know, to try to build your business, uh, maintain it, grow it, extend you know, some of the value attributes that are going to be, you know, looked at favorably by acquirers down the road. Uh, if, if you're taking stock now and, and, you know, maybe you don't have five to seven years to rebuild the business if it's been hurt uh, by COVID or a down economy, but there are absolutely things you can do. And we do see business owners being very creative in that regard. Um, you know, and again, it always spawns and generates this type of environment always spawns and generates new ideas and new ways of looking at how to grow your business, whether it's acquisition or partnership or joint venture, um, you know, or new supply arrangements or whatever, um, you know, we always see it in this environment. And in, in the long run, it, it helps. I mean, it makes, it forces people, uh, you know, to come up with new ways to look at their, their businesses. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. And we have a couple of minutes left and um, I think this has been a great conversation. I know that our listeners will get a lot out of the discussion, especially around some of the, details and, and some of the examples that you've shared with us in regards to uh, transactions that you're working on. I guess final thoughts would be from your, uh, you know, from your perspective, uh, what should business owners be doing around preparedness? You know, thinking about, maybe they're thinking about transacting in 2021. Um, you know, the, the market, I mean, their, their businesses started to recover. Um, they're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. What are some of the things that you would leave with them uh, today around preparedness? Sure. Um, so, you know, I think, 
business owners need to be uh, thoughtful, very thoughtful uh, in today's environment about how to position their businesses um, if they do want to transact, say in 2021, uh, you know, maybe they've had um, some earnings hits this year, maybe their profitability is down, maybe they lost some sales. Um, you know, many companies that we've been talking to have recovered fully, um, you know, they, they've even shed costs. Um, so I think, you know, I think acquirers are going to focus on how did a business perform, you know, during the downturn, what steps did it take uh, to survive, to continue to serve customers. Um, uh, and, you know, so first and foremost, uh, you know, what is the near term cash situation, working capital situation of the business? Does it have adequate, you know, is it adequately capitalized to continue to operate, um, you know, as you, as you enter 2021? Most business owners, I think many, or at least that we're talking about, were able to take some cost out of their business. They weren't necessarily overly leveraged when they came into uh, COVID and, and the economic downturn. Um, so they were able to weather, weather the storm and they, they're actually coming up pretty well positioned. So I think that positioning of your business, you know, did you rationalize where you could um, and, and can you still look at places to, uh, you know, cut costs without, uh, you know, without any diminution in the way you serve your, your customers, your clients. Um, that's number one. Number two is, I think, again, more so important than ever is to have a very good view on 2021. And for business owners to really think about, you know, if you don't have a formal business plan, uh, you know, develop one, um, you know, informal meaning if, if no one else but yourself, you know, how are you going to make it through 2021, you know, recovering as you need, with new business, new business initiatives, uh, you know, what steps are you going to take so that you can have a good view of 2021? Because that's what people are going to focus on. They're not going to look back so much uh, if you had a hit to your earnings or your revenues, uh, because they're going to understand why that happened. It was COVID. Everyone got hurt to some degree. They are going to right. look very much forward. So I think you need to have a good vision uh, of your business and where it can stand in 2021, and how you're going to how you're going to make a say a budget or a plan or a, or a projection on a very very granular basis, and part and parcel of that will be to be able to articulate the dynamics in your industry that are really relevant to you. You know, so is there are there things that happened in your industry, either your industry you operate in or end market industries that your business serves. Um, you know, that have been impacted by COVID. And if so, that's fine. That's okay. But how are you planning to deal with that? Have you thought through, uh, you know, issues that might have come up, whether it's supply chain issues, uh, you know, for example, if you get parts or, uh, you know, things from, from, from China uh, or, 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 or Europe, where there have been supply chain disruptions or, you know, an end user industry that you serve, that has been impacted. How is your business going to deal with that? So I think the focus on uh, any industry dynamics that are relevant to that projection, really being able to articulate how you're gonna navigate them in 2021 is gonna be critical to you know, how marketable are you? Will your valuation hold to a reasonable expectation that maybe you had uh, pre-COVID? And you know, what will interest be from potential buyers that are in your industry or people who are just developing platforms like private equity groups? Well, that's great. I appreciate the insights. That sounds, um, I, I think the forward thinking 
um, is something that a lot of business owners aren't necessarily focused on. Um, you know, I, I think they're thinking about the recovery, thinking about reestablishing growth. But to your point, having that forward view of the business and how you're going to uh, perceive your business recovering kind of through 2021, I think is something that is, is very interesting. Dennis, let me ask you, I mean, from your perspective, any thoughts and feedback around preparedness for business owners based on what you're seeing? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, it, I mean, I can just solely parrot Bruce. He's pretty much covered everything. But as as we mentioned, you know, preparedness and uh, it, the projections are going to be very important for the the buyers, and especially when they're looking to prepare the packages for the lenders, and you know, as well as articulating properly the opportunities that are in the business and the industry outlook as the the sellers try to educate the, you know, oftentimes, especially on the private equity side, the, the private equity need to be educated on the industry somewhat if there are any dynamics that they need to be aware of. And those need to be thought through in advance of the sales process. No, that's that's very helpful. I mean, that's that's great insight. I mean, when you think about um, the conversations that we're having at BXO, I mean, and, and Bruce, you know this. I mean, preparedness for us is kind of the area that we focus on. That you know, six months to you know, two years before someone decides that they're looking to sell the business, to make sure that we tie up all of those loose ends, uh, make sure that there aren't any you know deal killers, you know, anything that's out there that's become. Uh, you know, kind of norm for the business owner, but when they're sitting down and, and going through due diligence, a buyer says, wait a minute, there's too much risk associated with this particular issue and we need to push away or we need to drastically devalue your business because of that. So, you know, I, I think that preparedness, I would agree with what you're saying. It's something that we focus on. You know, we have, you know, kind of two specific assessments. We have what's called a business assessment, which is really a high level view. Uh, for business owners to kind of understand what's going on with their business specifically. Uh, they can use that as an opportunity to incorporate into a business plan or strategy. And then we have what's called a full-blown preparedness audit. And that's when we take a look at not only what's going on with their company, but what's going on with them. Are they prepared? Um, are they personally prepared to detach themselves from the trans, you know, from their business? Or do they have financially their trust and estate and tax planning strategy in place to maximize net proceeds from the transaction. And so when I hear words like preparedness and when I see it on the slide that you shared with us, it's something that, uh, you know, we're very passionate about with business owners. And so I appreciate you guys offering your insights on that. You know, I know that there are going to be listeners that hear this today and say, you know what, I really want to reach out to Bruce or I want to reach out to Dennis. How do, you know, from, from, uh, from a person who's listening today, how do they get a hold of you, Bruce? Do you want to you know, have an email or what's the best way for them to contact you if they, they heard this uh, webinar today and they, they want to follow up with you? Sure. Um, you know, feel free to email or call us. Our uh, contact information is on our website, which is eurekacap.com. Uh, uh, and I can give my, my email address is bruce.altman, uh, that's B-R-U-C-E dot A-L-T-M-A-N at Eureka Cap, E-U-R-E-K-A-C-A-P dot com. Uh, Dennis's is more difficult to spell, so I'll let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, I was waiting for it. <laughs> Dennis, you're up. <laughs> And my email is Dennis Chernoff, D-E-N-I-S dot C-H-U-R-U-N-O-V 
at Eureka Cap. And, awesome. and, 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 and we would be happy to answer questions that people have about matters that we covered on the presentation today or just generally talking about what we're seeing in the market in different industries because obviously we work across a lot of industries. Um, you know, it, it's a great time to be thinking and talking about transacting and it's not necessarily the right time for everybody, but on the other hand, uh, it is the right time for many people. So, you know, we have not, again, for, from our perspective, you know, we've been able to look through uh, the COVID, you know, environment and, and help people, you know, think about transactions and even get them done. Well, I will say to you, I greatly appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak to both of you today. This has been extremely insightful uh, for not only myself, but also for our listeners. And we look forward to having you back as we move into 2021 um, after the election to see how things are impacted and, and see how COVID is. But ultimately, um, we want to make sure that you're a regular on our, on our conversation from a podcast perspective and from a webinar perspective. So Bruce, Dennis, greatly appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Our pleasure. Thank you.